Dan Kirkendall is back in action with more hacking than ever. What's he hacking? Doesn't matter. New places. Somewhere on the stack where mobile and web play, where all the data waits. Dan Kirkendall, and I'm going to show you what it takes to hack into nearly any place on the web. We've got to make it through a weak set of defenses in the sort of places you would think would have the right survival skills. Alrighty, folks. Welcome back to the Man vs. Web App Podcast. Uh, this is Dan Kirkendall here, and I'm with my normal co-host, Scott Davis. Hello. And we have a special guest. We have uh, one of our interns, Thanasi, is joining us today. Hi, everybody. Thanasi is actually a high school student and uh, has been interested in security. So this is going to be kind of a, a fun summer for you. Oh, you bet. In, in school, you traditionally do defense, right? It's the Cyber Patriots... Is all about blue team stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. So he gets to spend his summer on the other side as part of the the red team thinking side. So this should be interesting for you. Oh, you bet. It was funny yesterday. Um, it, it, it we'll get into our topic here in a second. But yesterday it was kind of funny. I was we were talking a little bit about what cross site scripting was, and maybe you could tell kind of what happened. Like I dropped I dropped you back off for a few minutes while I had to go run a quick errand. And and I get back to to Thanasi hacking, um, so go ahead and tell what happened at that point. And we tried to uh, mess with our high school's online gradebook, I guess you could say, and turns out, yeah, they didn't protect against the cross-site scripting, and we could have a little hello alert come up every time we logged in, which was kind of funny. Yeah, actually, you know, if you got really clever with it, because this is the online, this is where they go and look at their online grades. You could, you haven't gotten this far, but we could actually show you how to edit what's on screen because everything is a DOM element on there. And so you could actually find the elements that display the grades and like give yourself really high. Now that would only be for display purposes, but you know, when the parental units come around and take a look at your grade book, you're like, wow, you're doing amazing. I might have to check that one out. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful example of a client-side uh, exploit there, Dan. The server-side exploit would have to be, you know, for the, the records. Um, so. <laughs> yes, yes. So we didn't, we didn't uh, get into that. But it uh, kind of brings up the topic. And our topic today is all about, I guess, let's talking about the inputs and injection fundamentals is really what we're going to be talking about today. And, and, and some of this is great that we have somebody that's still relatively new. Thanasi's got a, a little bit of experience here already, just kind of your own interests over the years uh, in those young years. So you have some knowledge already, but it's still, you're still trying to understand some of the fundamentals. And mostly you've been spending your time on system level stuff, right? Right, yeah. Like Linux, Linux. systems and, and some basic Windows stuff. As we look at you know the the internet and and web applications, this is going to be 
a little bit new for you. So we're going to step back and take the audience through this journey, I think, of understanding what this is all about. I don't know, Scott, maybe like it'd be good just to talk about the, the fundamentals of inputs. What, what are inputs and how yeah. injection takes place? Well, injection, I feel, is a great concept to, to new and old alike. Um, it's really how we do injection. And so when I hear my predecessors or even their predecessors talk about buffer effort overflows or unescaped inputs of, of a different variety, gaining, you know, like a stack, stack-based overflow in, in memory of a local system or whatnot versus um, injecting into the context of a certain language or document like HTML documents or within the comment structure of PHP. Injection happens in so many different contexts. And over the years, it just keeps, as an idea, finding new evolutions of injection. It's, it's, it's fascinating to see how it just kind of blossoms up in different ways and, and how some of the old techniques are still being rediscovered to uh, defend against some of the same stuff. A lot of a lot of it stems around in the modern age with non-escaped input where you can jump out of a, a string or um, some sort of command string. But that's getting into it too much, I guess. That's my take on yeah. it. How about you, Dan? Yeah, so let's and let's a little step back and really talk about the how this all flows through the system because it really happens at, at every level. And so I'm going to maybe I'll walk through a bit of the, the life of a of a request, if you will, and, and what it has in there. And we'll talk specifically around HTTP requests because that's what we deal with. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing that we can kind of break down layer by layer and, and kind of follow the journey for a minute just so that you can kind of understand the flow. And then we'll get to the application and, and what happens there. But it is it, it all premises, and this is an important piece of, to understand, is when the Internet was created... Security was not a part of the conversation. It was a, a sharing network, right? So fundamentally, the internet is insecure, right? Like at the fundamental layer, it, it just, it was never in, it built with security in mind. We've tacked on security. So security is an afterthought. Security is an add-on. So just kind of think about that all the time. Right, and I, and I try to always think about that as fundamentally, this whole thing is broken, right? And people are putting on band-aids all over the place. So if you understand the fundamentals, then you can kind of think about the whole process. So let's take a, an HTTP packet. An HTTP packet, for those that don't fully understand this, is it's a it's usually a, a an IP. It's a TCP/IP request. Um, so it's a it, what happens is. I'm going to make a request to a web server. So it starts off its life as a packet. And usually an HTTP request is pretty small, so it fits actually in one physical packet. Uh, physical, it's digital, but whatever, right? So think about it as a little envelope that's going to get tossed down on the network, and it's, it's addressed to a given IP address. And first thing that has to happen is obviously DNS happens. So there's a request to find out like www.acmeco.com what's its IP address and it gets the IP address. So then the little envelope gets packaged up with this IP address and it sends on its way. That is an actual input itself to the network. And it has to flow through the network and it gets handed off from system to system until it eventually makes it to its destination. And it goes through these routing tables to do that. So the packet kind of moves it, you know, it's like a little envelope going into the mail, right? 
toss in the mail, gets to the post office. Post office says, oh, that's headed to, you know, Ohio. Okay, so let's get it out to, you know, that, you know, on a plane to, to that area. Then it goes from the, you know, probably the state central, you know, post office to the, the local city one. And then eventually gets delivered to the, to the you know, front door. So now it's at the, uh, the web server, right? Acmeco.com server is sitting there on the internet. And it's waiting. It's open to, to ports 80 and 443 in this instance. We'll just talk about 80 for a moment. We'll ignore our encryption. And, it, and it, that's input now to that server. It's a TCP packet and, uh, assigned to port 80. So then it comes to port 80. It gets opened up by the web server because the web server is actually listening on port 80. Gets opened up and the web server looks at it and says, oh yeah, this looks like an HTTP packet. I know how to read that. I know how to read an HTTP packet. An HTTP packet can be very, very simple. It literally, if you look at it, it, it could say get slash images slash icon.php or png or something, right? It could, it, that, and that, and I think that's, is that all that's required? I think that's all it required. And then double line break, right? And that's all that is actually required. There's usually more stuff in there as well. There's like, I think little... the uh, the version is is right after that, like either oh, yeah, HTTP or yeah, one you're right. Or so it's it's get space and then the the file that it's get. It's actually saying get me this, right? So get me this file, and and then it, you're right. It has the version number, so it's HTTP. So after the the file name would be like space HTTP slash one point one or something like that. That's all that's really 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 required. But usually there's more. So there's like a there's these what we call HTTP headers. So there would be like server colon, and then it would actually say www.acmeco.com. They actually put that one in HTTP 1.1 for servers that host multiple websites so that it can distinguish like which site are you actually intending to get this for. If you don't have that, it has to get from the default site. But that's an input, right? The, the get and the file name is an input. The... HTTP version is an input. Now you have that server tag. The server name is an input. Then there's actually a user agent to tell the web server what browser is making this request. That's an input. You know, at some point the user may have gotten some session cookies. So there's a cookie colon, and then there's a big string and there's a format for the cookies. That's an input. All these things are inputs. The first ones are read by the web server and parsed by the web server itself and often logged Right, so there would be server logs, usually like access logs or error logs. But you know, I could deliver an attack that is going to make its way to the log, and then I may be trying to attack that log so that when somebody uses a, you know, a certain log reviewing tool, uh, maybe a web-based log reviewing tool, I might deliver a cross-site scripting payload there, right? Or maybe it's not going to go to a file. Some sometimes, mostly web servers go to a file log. Sometimes they go to a SQL database and I might try to deliver an attack payload into the SQL database because that's an input, right? It's not often thought about when you're looking at web applications, but everything is an input. It's data coming to the server. So <clears throat> anyway, now the server has it and says, oh, okay, this is an image file. So I'm going to actually grab the physical file and, and send it back as my response. Great. Now, what if it's like, you know, it's asking for slash index.php or just slash and it, it references it and then there's a default to the index.php file. So now we're, it'll say, oh, this is a PHP file. 
So do I have something that has a, a special way to handle PHP? And, and so there's actually a, a programming language executor for this, right? So there's like a, uh, an event handler essentially. It says, oh, okay, this is PHP. So that means it's gotta, you gotta execute this in, let's say if it's Apache, it's a mod PHP, right? So Apache has a plugin for PHP or it could be Java, it could be whatever. I'll just use PHP in this example. So then it takes that request and says, hey, I'm gonna hand this now to you. And it hands it off to the PHP extension. Uh, to the to the mod PHP, which actually handles all the PHP language stuff. So now it's an input to PHP. PHP then parses it and tears it apart so that all of the little pieces of that request are available. Some of them are like, you know, there's like the dollar underscore get variable that PHP is going to have that makes it, you know, there's dollar sign underscore post, dollar sign underscore cookies. So it kind of like tears apart some of the HTTP request. So PHP is processing that request and trying to make all of the parameters, everything that's in there, convenient for the developer that might use it later. But that's an attack point. You can attack PHP. There have been vulnerabilities at the programming language handler level that have exposed issues. So I'm not even talking about the code that the that you know Joe developer wrote for you know at Acmeco. We're talking at PHP's level. Yeah, third-party vulns, those are a big one to watch out for. Exactly. So you have the, the Apache server could be vulnerable and attacked through inputs there. The PHP language handler could be attacked. All of these inputs, the input flows through the system this way. Eventually then, you know, let's say it's all been, you know, it's survi we've survived <laughs> up until this point, right? And Apache's been safe and PHP's been safe. Now the inputs get handed off to the, to the developer, uh, and he's writing his, you know, PHP code in this instance, or Java code, or whatever. And um, he's now taking data and saying, okay, they're asking to look at, you know, let's say they're on viewproduct.php, you know, question mark, ID equals five, right? And so that parameter is saying, I want to look at product number five, right, in my in my list. Or it could be by its name, right? Like a rake, right? I want to see this rake. Well, now the developer is going to grab that information and say, oh, okay, this is what the user wants to do on this page. And and then they're going to go do something with that. That that input then may become part of a SQL statement. And so the developer is taking this information and they're going to, and SQL is, is a, is a, the standard query language. We, we often call it SQL statements or, or SQL database. There's not actually something called a SQL database. There's like the Microsoft SQL database or the MySQL database. There's all these different database servers. Or the NoSQL databases. <laughs> yeah, which uh, but won't have SQL. Um, but yeah, so there, the data is gonna go into a, into a request to query that database. And so this is going to you know, maybe do like there's a, that has a format, okay? And that input now flows into a SQL query, which may say like select, um, you know, star from products where ID equals, and then they're gonna put the user input. And so now it's, now it's be, that input that came from the, through the web and came through a web request now becomes input to the SQL server, which is a whole separate service right, that the user wouldn't have direct access to normally. So they get to the SQL database through the web application, right? So now it's input 
to the SQL database. And hopefully they, and we'll talk about how they should be protecting, but I'm just kind of giving you the flow of how this happens, right? So then they get, let's say they get the, the record. So they, they see ID equals five is a rake. So they get all the information about a rake and its price and all that stuff. And then they're gonna display it back to the user. And they may display all the information and it may also have a little thing that, you know, let's say they had searched for rake. It may say, you know, your search for rake had one result and here it is, right? Now that, that initial request where they asked for a rake uh, or they queried for a rake is also reflected on the page. So that input came in, got sent to the SQL database, retrieved additional data, which is cool, but they also show the original input back on the page, right? This is all pretty common stuff that actually happens, but this is where injection can take place along the way, right? Where the, at that, that layer where the input comes in to the, to the developer and is going to be used in the SQL statement, well, that could be attacked, right? There are ways to attack SQL statements uh, with what we call SQL injection. And, and so you could attack that. So when it gets from the web application on its way to the SQL database, if things aren't done, escaping aren't, isn't done properly, then you can actually attack the SQL database. Um, that input that reflected back and says your search for rake had one result, that word rake that shows up on screen could potentially, when it comes back um, and it's printed back on the page, there's something called cross-site scripting that can be used to actually attack the user on that page. And you know, if you think, well, it might just attack themselves, that's not so interesting. Um, there are potentially ways to get other people to click on a, a link that you've preceded with attacks. And that what could happen is on that reflection, and this is what you know Thanasi just saw, is he was able to actually put in his own HTML code and it embeds itself into the original page and uh, and can do cross-site scripting attack. But I don't know, Scott, does this kind of did I leave out some space where this I just want to you know pause here for a minute and say, okay, look, we've just looked at the journey of a request and kind of all the layers of input or where that input goes through. Did I miss some or you have some to, to add or maybe tweak a little bit there? No, no. As the journey goes, I think that story can map to pretty much any technology, new and old, whether new type of handler or language. And, and that journey of other service, whether it's a data store, something local, a file, some other downstream something. Or, or the database um, is that you're 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 really trying to inject with thinking about uh, some other language context in this case the SQL injection and uh, it's it's a great story I think if anything you can just get more complex from there whether you're talking about like you know web application firewalling or or all the other defensive mechanisms for the code the the story of the offense I think you captured very well yeah, yeah that's actually a good point uh, you know I, I didn't mention if there was like a web app firewall it's gonna review that packet to see if there's any anything in it detects right and you could potentially attack the WAF right um, but yeah I guess everything yeah everything is attackable because everything handles inputs right so if they're not handling inputs and sanitizing or because basically the bottom line is that developers tend to build based on what they expect to have happen right if I'm expecting that page to have ID equals five and, 
And so I write my query expecting a number. What happens if somebody puts like A, right? Like, and then I go ID equals A, and then the database goes, I don't know what the hell that means. Like, this is supposed to be a number, right? And and then what, like, how gracefully are you handling? I mean, that's simple concept here of the attack, but developers build based on what they expect to happen, and they don't always anticipate somebody doing something that wasn't expected, right? Like, well, why would they give me an A, right? Like, it doesn't matter why, <laughs> you, need to, you need to deal with it. It's a time, time eternal kind of thing. I've heard echoed so many different people. It's like developers can only defend against attacks that they can understand how to implement themselves. And it's it's like, okay, so maybe it is a bit of education when it comes to input sanitation. Um, we also have those discussions with output um, sanitation, but that's really just kind of like, so you can't discover things, but the input is where the, the damage is going to happen, where this injection or some other uh, thing you had, the developer didn't consider and pass along to some other resource like you're talking about. Well, yeah, and that the journey of that input can continue. And like the previous podcast, we talked about out-of-band attacks, where initially maybe that attack didn't accomplish anything. Maybe you just stuck your payload into the database, but it was all escaped properly. Or, you know, a SQL escaping happened. And so the SQL database didn't get attacked per se. But a record was delivered into that database that um, had a, a client-side attack, like a cross-site scripting attack, that was now stored and now maybe when somebody else goes look at that record, the actual payload shows up for them. So the admin goes in to look at the screen or look at that user. And instead of a company name, you know, like my company name, it's actually like my company name script and then some, you know, JavaScript activity, uh, you know, cross-site scripting kind of attack payload. And that actually executes from the, the admin account. Well, that's kind of fun, right? But... But yeah, the, the, the input doesn't die there, I guess is what I what I mean to say, or the point I'm trying to make is that input could live for some period of time or forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, the these payload that you described just then is of cross-site scripting could have also been another a SQL injection so that like next time there's a, a query, some some function against that record, and then it gets injected. There's all... There's, it's just oh. almost endless. Yeah, it just keeps going. That's true. Um, sometimes, also... you'll, sometimes a developer might take an input, or they might read a record, you know, so like a list of records at a database, and then do a secondary query using data from the original database or the original table, if you will. And now they're using that input as, or you know, that that data as input to a secondary query, which then all of a sudden they maybe trust a little bit more you know, incorrectly trust a little bit more, uh, thinking that, oh, well, that would be like valid data that's already been cleaned <laughs> and, and actually no, right? So uh, I, I have seen those sort of things as well, which is kind of interesting. And and it's kind of maybe we've all been there kind of as a developer. It It's not these crazy things that we invented as, as offensive, like finding the, the, the nooks and crannies of an app so much as, as this is, these were the manifestations of the developer having to make a problem solved. And they may have done it too quickly or just because of a deadline or which, whichever. And so when you're kind of going through like this, that was a weird hoop that I had to get a SQL injection from the other injection or something like that. But it certainly is the, the exposure of, of vulnerabilities be, 
uh, injection vulnerabilities because the, the development process wasn't expecting that, just kind of full circle to what you were talking about. It's, it's, it's always going to be tricky if, if people aren't expecting um, attacks on all ends of the input. Yeah, and certainly, I, you know, you, you can have some comfort in the fact that it takes a much more determined attacker to accomplish those kind of second order attacks, right? You know, your your standard script kitty is probably not going to stumble on those, right? But uh, yeah, so a, a advanced persistent threats versus the the opportunistic um, lulls or or um, um, destruction of property sort of thing. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely different fields there. But injections can in be the buzzword. same. You did APT on us there. I think I said advanced persistent. Advanced persistent. <laughs> I, I I guess I hear AP, I hear buzzwords just came out. <laughs> no, I I always I get a kick out of it because like I remember when everybody started talking about APT, you know, advanced persistent threats. And and thank you for actually defining it and not just using the acronym because that's one of the things on the show here we're trying to do. If we're going to use an acronym, <laughs> let's define it first. So anyway. APT is just is kind of that thing where you're you're. It's a it's an advanced persistent threat. So like that, like we mentioned, somebody had put in an attack into one area that might end up getting exploited later, and so it's it's persistent in the system, waiting for 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 its chance to come alive. It became I remember a couple of years ago, and I go to security conferences all the time, and my goodness, when APT kind of got its buzzword and and people started talking about it, it was. It was one of those years where it was like that was the theme of the year, right? And and those things those drive me nuts. Right? <laughs> it drives me nuts when the whole security industry is like, oh, here's the hot new topic. Let's all everybody talk about it, right? Like, let's have some original thought and keep talking about other things as well, <laughs> you know. But uh, I, I was referring. It's mostly it's fun for the meme of yeah. APTB like or something. Just like to be sneaky. I don't know. I wish I had a better. Better framing of like the the script kitty versus the oh no I already used APT again <laughs> so so yeah. Thanasi as I kind of went through that journey I'm sure a lot of that's kind of new thought for you you haven't really and maybe I don't even know if you knew how that all kind of flowed through the system but um, anything stand out to you of stuff that like oh crap I didn't think about I had never thought about that or considered that well mainly that I figured that okay so once the browser tells the server, hey, I want something. I didn't realize it went through that many other programs before it got the data back. I thought the server grabs a file and kind of sends it back. It didn't realize that there's other like parsers and things going on. Yeah, it's actually kind of amazing. I, and I had this with my son as well. I actually kind of walked through what happens when he like pulls up a web page. And, and I actually wrote it down. And he was like, his mind was blown. He's like, all that happens in that like two seconds, right? <laughs> you know, that <laughs> the, like, how did like, cause you know, that one page, like, you know, let's say you, in, you open up the index page and then that one has like references to like it's JavaScript page, it's cascading style sheets page. It's, uh, you know, images that it's going to show. It has to, it, it, it keeps getting back a response, parsing that, analyzing it, and saying, "Oh, now I need additional resources." And goes back and and this and sometimes the requests and the responses actually I didn't mention this, but the responses often are too big for a single packet because an IP packet has a, a a size limit. So if it can't be sent in one, 
it actually gets torn apart into different packets. So you could have like eight packets for that one response. And each one of those gets sent out on the internet as a response. And they actually find each find their own way to you and then get reassembled. It's maddening. <laughs> like, uh, it's quite amazing, I think, uh, the whole... When you really kind of get into the network stack and start looking at that stuff. But, uh, yeah, it is something, I guess, that most people don't think about or consider as part of the, the ecosystem involved. Okay, so... As far as we, you know, we're kind of hitting up on our time. We try to keep the show, you know, right around the thirty-minute mark, and hopefully, we kind of opened your eyes a little bit on on kind of rethinking this. Sometimes, you know, especially if you're an experienced pro, even even we tend to have a myopic view of like the thing we're focused on. So, like, if I'm an app security guy, I'm thinking about the point at which it comes into PHP or, or Java or whatever. And that's what I'm thinking about. I, I often forget that there's all of the stuff before and assume that that's all safe. And, and sometimes that's a, a reasonable assumption, but uh, it should definitely be considering all along, you know, that the, the original ports, parts of the path. Yeah, anything else stand out to you as far as uh, uh, what you did yesterday too and kind of how that worked out? Yeah, I mean, well, what I did yesterday, I realized okay, this isn't going to get anywhere other than myself. <laughs> so right. if I want to hack myself, then yay, good job, me. But if I want to touch anyone else, I wasn't really sure how I could get to anyone else yet. I think that leads for an interesting topic maybe next time. Like if that was linked with, say, uh, that's a stored thing on your account, and say that was also no CSRF tokens there, and somebody could get you to click on the cat picture some other place maliciously and and store that then next time you logged in that other person um could do whatever they want with your account so it's not getting yourself is it's that combined with a csrf anyway i think that's where we could have some fun <laughs> yeah and, and you know but one of the things that is kind of interesting and to keep in mind is if the developer made that mistake there probably oh, yeah. are other mistakes <laughs> true and so you know, this is one of the things, and this is maybe an important part and maybe a, a good wrap-up piece. If at any point an attacker finds something, right? Like, if you're, if you're just, like, if you're an attacker and you're just randomly kind of finding things, looking at things to attack, and you keep, like, hitting a brick wall, hitting a brick wall, hitting a brick wall, you just kind of keep moving on, right? Even if there might be some vulns, but they're, they're kind of tucked away or, you know, you know, they don't see them right away. They're often going to move on. But once they get, a, you know, it's like a shark. When you smell blood, oh, then, yeah. <laughs> you know, then you really go, right? And you're like, oh, I'm going to find more. And uh, and so that's an important thing to consider when you're building applications and trying to think about securing them is if I smell blood in the, you know, if, if I let the, the attacker smell blood in the water, uh, I'm in trouble, right? And I have to be that much more vigilant, right? It's going to keep them thinking about it, and you're going to like it's yeah the 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 real attacker of the guy we're worried there is going to be like uh, they cannot help now to to find everything they can. They, whereas before they might have been bored or something. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, security is like this is the thing people think sometimes like oh security is like kind of the sexy part of of IT or whatever. It is generally bore the most boring part because you're just doing tedious. Head against the wall. Mucky muck. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I mean, how you know you bang your head against the wall for like, you know, whatever, three hundred days a year, and like two, you actually find something, and you're like, you know, feeling like a rock star for two days, and then you go back to, you know, <laughs> just slamming your head against the wall. It could be quite a quite a challenging space, although. Actually, in app security, that's not as much the case, right? We tend to find a lot, and that's kind of definitely in these. Yeah, in this environment, um, we want to see more people defending themselves, but it's still quite a free for all in many places. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're about out of time for today. We will uh, continue rolling through the topics and and definitely looking for user feedback as well. If you're if you really want us to talk about a top, you know, a specific topic, let us know. You can reach us uh, at mightyseek at gmail.com. And that would probably be the best way. i got to set up, actually, a man versus a web app email address. I still have my old MightySeek one. Uh, but the show is not MightySeek anymore. All right, I'll, I'll get that fixed. But for now, mightyseek at gmail.com will, will reach me. And, and we will definitely look forward to your feedback. But, uh, Scott, thanks for your time. Fanasi, glad to have you. Thanks, it was great here. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll keep rolling. Alrighty, folks. Goodbye. See ya.